0: Now, good morning to everyone. Good morning. Bear with me while I get the technology working here. <coughs> I'd like to thank this oppor- take this opportunity to thank everyone for their prayers and my Recent ordeal with the eye surgery, there were some very real concerns there, and thanks to the prayers of the saints and the grace of God, none of them materialized. So, thank you so much. I was able to have an opportunity to share with the doctor just how much the Lord worked in that situation. So, there was also thinking about the way the Holy Spirit works this morning, when right at the end of our meeting, your brother brought out the concept of hope and mentioned the passage in Luke chapter 2 about the shepherds. And I thought, what a fitting lead-in to the message that we're going to talk about this morning. I want to talk about the people who were the first witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ. We read about them in Luke chapter 2. First we're going to review some Old Testament prophecies, some things that they knew, so that we can see what people were looking for at the time of Jesus' birth. We're also going to look at some verses that show the fulfillment so that we can appreciate just how much the New Testament means to us in explaining those things which were kind of cryptic without the New Testament to make them clear. And then we'll look at three of the first witnesses to the Lord's birth. The shepherds in the field. We'll look at Simeon. And we'll look at Anna the prophetess. So, just imagine that you could travel back 2,000 plus years to Jerusalem. The Jewish scholars of the day, they studied the Torah. They knew what the writings or the history books of the Old Testament taught. They were familiar with the prophets. And they taught the people law, history, and prophecy. And if you were one of the few people who could read and write, and you were fortunate enough to have a copy of the scrolls, you could actually study God's word for yourself. But remember, the Old Testament is what they had to work from. And at the time Jesus was born, as the prophet Amos had predicted, Behold, the days are coming, said the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. There was such a famine in the land for the words of the Lord. He had spoken nothing to them for 400 years. And yet the Old Testament promised them Messiah who would deliver them once and for all from slavery. They looked for a deliverance from the Romans who ruled over them. But what did they know about this one called Messiah? How would they know him when he arrived? One of the earliest prophecies about him is found in Genesis 3 in verse 15. It says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So they knew that this one would be the seed of a woman, they weren't sure exactly how this was going to work, but we have Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 that explains to us, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman and born under the law. So that makes it fairly clear to us exactly how God was going to work. In Genesis chapter 49 we find out that he would come from the tribe of Judah. It says the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Now that would have sounded kind of strange to them because of course God had named the Levites as the priests. And then here we have this prophecy that he would come from the tribe of Judah and certainly we read in the genealogy recorded by Luke that he is the son of Aminadab the son of Ram, the son of Hezron the son of Perez, the son of Judah so we know from where he came the prophecy that he would be born in Bethlehem was probably one of the most clear to them But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. They knew very well from Micah's prophecy that he would be born in Jerusalem, or in, excuse me, in Bethlehem. And we read in the New Testament because there was no room. So he was indeed born in Bethlehem. And Isaiah said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That might be particularly troubling if you were trying to figure out how would a virgin conceive Because at that time, of course, the Holy Spirit came and went. And I don't think they had maybe a full understanding of the ministry of the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit could work. But we know that in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. You will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. So we have the story of the fulfillment of the prophecy of the virgin conceiving. The last one I'll read comes from Hosea chapter 11. this one, I'm not sure how they would have figured it out. It said, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Now here they had a prophecy, he would be born in Bethlehem. And here they have another one that says, out of Egypt, I have called my son. How would you figure that out, necessarily, if all you had was the Old Testament and this prophecy? But we read in Matthew chapter 2, when he arose, Joseph arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. So we have the explanation of how he would be called out of Egypt. So it's easy for us to figure out how these prophecies all fit together because the New Testament explains it to us. But how would they have applied these Old Testament prophecies when they were looking for Messiah in a time when God isn't speaking to them? Now I want to look at some of the people who first recognized him as Messiah. we we'll look at how did they know him And more specifically, what did they do when they recognized him? So I'm going to begin reading from Luke chapter 2 this morning. Luke chapter 2, and I'll begin in verse number 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Lying in a manger And suddenly There was with the angel A multitude of the heavenly host Praising God and saying Glory to God in the highest And on earth peace Good will toward men So it was When the angels had gone away from them Into heaven that the shepherds said to one another Let us now go to Bethlehem And see this thing That has come to pass Which the Lord has made known to us And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. So here we have the account of what were probably the earliest witnesses to the birth of the Lord Jesus. It says they were at nighttime watching. And they would be watching, especially with vigilance and diligence at night, which would be the most likely time for predators to be attacking the sheep. They were in the same country as Mary and Joseph, so it wasn't a a long trip for them to go and find the child. They saw the angel and the glory of the Lord and they were afraid. Now, when we think of angels today, we think of these cute little creatures. They have white robes, they have wings, they have halos. I mean, who would be afraid? But when you read in the Bible, people who encounter angels, you read they're afraid. And usually the first thing the angel has to tell them is, fear not or do not be afraid. And that's a very, very common phrase in your Bibles used hundreds of times. The glory of the Lord shone about them. That alone was a fearsome sight in the Old Testament times. Those who remember the temple and the tabernacle. When the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle or the glory of the Lord filled the temple, you couldn't go in. Even the priests couldn't go in. The glory of the Lord took over, and it was truly a fearsome sight. The news that they bring is good news, great joy. And notice it was not restricted to the shepherds, not restricted to the Jews, but it came from all people. Right from the very beginning, God intended to make provision for the salvation of of all mankind not just some but all the announcement could have been simple it could have been Jesus is born and that would have been true it would have been like those signs we drive by when we're on the highway we drive by a sign at the hospital that says welcome baby and you think that poor kid he's got to go through and go, like, with that name and then we forget about it. But no, the angel didn't bring that kind of a message. It didn't just say, Jesus is born, or welcome Jesus. There were some very specific terms used. The angel painted a word picture of who this child was. Three terms. The first one is Savior. And in the Old Testament, the term Yeshua is used to describe a deliverer, usually from one's enemies. And it's a term that's reserved for God in the Hebrew Old Testament. Now in the Septuagint, remember this is the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. It would have been in circulation at that time, came about, you know, two or three hundred years before the birth of Christ, so that would have been around. And in the Septuagint, the Greek word sotir is used for savior. in secular use, use, the term was applied to deities, princes, and kings. Generally, someone who provided a benefit to their country or their people. But in the New Testament, it becomes a title for the Lord Jesus, who would save his people from their sins. For example, in John 4, 42, the people of Sychar tell the woman at the well, he is the savior, or sotir, of the world. Paul refers to him as savior in his letter to Titus, and so does Peter in his second letter. You refer to the child as savior, there's only one that he could be. The second term he uses is the term Christ, who is the Christ. The Greek word is Christos. It's from a root word that means to smear or rub with oil, and it was associated in the Old Testament with the anointing. Kings, priests, and prophets anointed and set apart for God's service. The Lord Jesus will occupy all three offices. He's prophet, priest, and will come again as king. In the Septuagint, again, the Greek term Christos was used to translate the Hebrew word for Messiah. How much more clear could the angel have been? Used in reference to kings, often translated anointed one in our English Bibles. Became a reference to Jesus in the New Testament. And the third term that the angel used was the term Lord. Luke was writing for Gentiles, those heavily influenced by Greek culture, and used the word Kyrios. Can be a master, owner, possessor, potentate, or sovereign. Thayer's Greek lexicon says, He to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has the power of deciding. He's a master or a lord, used universally for the possessor and disposer of a thing, the owner. So here he says, This child will be the master, the owner and will have the option or the privilege of deciding what to do with that which he owns. We know from the New Testament that we are not our own. We were bought with a price, the precious sinless blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And our disposition is up to him. He can tell us, away from me I do not know you. Or he can say, well done, good and faithful servant. When you're looking for Messiah, no other could do that. Only Messiah. So the angel has conveyed God's special purpose for this special child. Now you contrast that with the next verse where he says, you'll find a baby in swaddling clothes. The Lord didn't have to come as a king the first time to be all those things that we just talked about. A baby in swaddling clothes. God says his power, his strength, is shown in human weakness. The Lord Jesus was never weak as we are, but he came first as a baby who could be afraid of a baby? Everyone approaches a baby. Everyone comes to a baby, right? Yeah. So the angels, before they leave, break out in praise to God. They return to heaven. So what do the shepherds do with this fantastic revelation that they have? Well, they went to the city of David, which they knew to be Bethlehem. They sought him out. And then after they saw him, they became the first witnesses, telling others about him, spreading the good news that the Savior, the Christ, the Lord, had come. The shepherds praised God, and they gave God the glory, no other. They recognized the Lord Jesus, they sought him out, they worshipped him, they told others about him, and they gave God the glory. But if we read on, we can read about another one who witnessed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 2, we'll continue reading in verse 21. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. How did they come to be at the temple? Well, remember, the Lord Himself said He came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And that began with the fulfillment, the obedience to the law as expressed in Leviticus chapter 12. It says, speak to the children of Israel, saying, if a woman has conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as in the days of her customary impurity, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. So number one, on the eighth day, He was circumcised and given the name Jesus, which the angel had given him before he was even conceived. Now again, 40 days after his birth, because remember, the woman was unclean for seven days and then the circumcision, but then 33 more days before she was to offer the sacrifice for her purification. So they went to the temple and proceeded to offer a pair of turtle doves, two young pigeons, for her purification. Now remember, the law in Leviticus 12 specified that the burnt offering would be a lamb of the first year. There was an exception in that law that said, And if she is not able to bring a lamb, then she may bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons. One is a burnt offering and the other is a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for her and she will be clean. It's ironic that the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, should be born to parents who didn't have a lamb of the first year, but rather had to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons for the sacrifice. And then, according to the law of the firstborn, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple to present him, their firstborn, to the Lord and to give the redemption price of five shekels. For every firstborn male had to be redeemed. Now here we meet this fellow named Simeon. His name means hearing, or one who hears and obeys. His words to Mary in verses 34 and 35 indicate that he had the gift of prophecy. Scripture describes him as just, which tells us he conducted himself according to a certain standard. He's devout, so he would have been observing the law carefully following all the Jewish religious practices of his day. What's interesting to note that he's not described as a Pharisee, a Sadducee, a scribe. He's not described as one of the leaders of the temple. He's just one who's had a promise and been waiting, had great patience. Who was he waiting for? The Scripture tells us it was the consolation of Israel, and this again points to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Greek word is paraklesis. The idea is one of a comforter. At that time, the rabbis referred to Jesus, referred to Messiah, who would come as the comforter or the consoler. The Holy Spirit came and went from men in this time. It had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. But the Comforter was promised. We Remember when Peter stated that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Lord Jesus told him, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Well, similarly, flesh and blood did not reveal to Simeon who this child was. It was the Holy Spirit that showed him. It was by that same spirit that Simeon happened to be in the temple at that particular day, at that particular moment, when Mary and Joseph brought the child. Simeon took the child immediately and worshipped God. He was one who obeyed. God, waited on God for he knew what God would do. We don't know how long he waited. We're not told in scripture how much time passed between when he got promise and when he actually saw the Lord's Christ. But we know that he did wait patiently and that the Lord true to his word fulfilled that promise. What we do know about Simeon is that God made him a promise and the words according to your word tell us that God fulfilled it exactly as he had said it. We know that Jesus is that promised salvation which God prepared for all people. We know Simeon waited on the Lord, watched for the fulfillment, recognized the Lord Jesus, worshiped and gave thanks to God when it happened. We see here some prophecies fulfilled. Isaiah said, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land, the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. And he says, I, the Lord, have called you righteousness in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. You know, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He was a light to both Jews and Gentiles. He is the light that shined upon all who walked in darkness. His coming at the first Christmas brought God's grace to light for all the world. Isaiah also prophesied that God would share his glory with no other. Jesus, the Son of God, is The glory of Israel. He does not share that glory with any other and his glory will be revealed in its fullness when he comes again to rule for a thousand years. Simeon's prophecy about the fall and rising of many is reminiscent of Isaiah 8.14 where the Lord of hosts is both a sanctuary but a stone of stumbling to both the houses of Israel. Some will come to him in faith and find sanctuary in the Lord Jesus. Some will reject him, and in doing so, will stumble. Simeon wasn't the only faithful servant in the temple that day. If we keep on reading Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25. And behold, oh, pardon me, starting in verse 36. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So here we have Anna, a prophetess. What is a prophetess? In this case, Anna is a divinely gifted teacher or witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. She was of the tribe of Asher. Asher means happy. Jacob's blessing on the tribe of Asher was that he would provide bread and other royal delicacies. The tribe of Asher was committed to faithful service to the Lord. The name Anna means grace. So it was fitting that Anna should be a witness to the one who brought the grace of God to all mankind. She was a widow of 84 years great age. And yet she spent her time as a widow in the temple serving, fasting, and praying. Her service may have been overlooked by many, but not by God. Like Simeon, she was constantly looking to the Lord. And at that time, if you wanted to see the Lord and to be close to Him, you stayed close to His temple. Ezekiel had seen the glory depart from the first temple, and Haggai had prophesied that the glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former. And certainly this day, when the Lord Jesus Christ entered the temple as a child, that glory was greater than the glory of the first temple. Everything happens in God's time It was obvious that Anna had been fasting and praying for a very long time, and at God's perfect time she came in. Not too soon, not too late, just at God's perfect time. And what was her reaction? But She gave thanks. She didn't say it's about time or took you long enough or anything like that. She just gave thanks that she had seen the child. She became a witness to the one who is Savior, Christ and Lord as she spread that word to those who were looking for redemption. So given what we know about these people, given what we've read today, what might we do? Well, as we think of the Lord Jesus Christ and his birth, I would suggest that we should spread the word. Make sure and tell people. The shepherds didn't hesitate to tell others what they heard from the angels and what they saw for themselves. Along with Paul, we should say, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Peter said it this way, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. The time grows shorter every day, folks. We get one day closer to the Lord Jesus returning for his church. We should spread the word so we can take as many with us as we can. They praised God and they gave thanks. Paul teaches we should rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know, very often, you hear of people seeking the will of God. What should I do about this? What should I do about that? But here you have a very clear statement of what the will of God in Christ Jesus is for you. Rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks. And we see that in these three witnesses, in the shepherds, in Simeon, and in Anna. You can meditate on the Psalms or meditate on one of your favorite praise songs. There's no quicker way I can think of to raise your spirits than doing something like that. Giving thanks to, his in, to God for his indescribable gift can bring about a tremendous change in attitude sometimes. Keep watching, don't stop looking. His return is imminent, that means at any time. I know a, an older brother told me they used to tell you don't go to the movies because the Lord might come back and find you in a movie theater. Keep watching. Keep thinking like that. If he comes back right now, what will I be doing? Will I be watching or will I be doing something else? These people we read about today were all watching. The shepherds, Simeon, Anna, they were all looking faithfully for that one. There's developed a, a custom over the years at Christmas. We give gifts. Another more recent custom, some people call it re-gifting. Now you go to the office Christmas party and you get that sweater that nobody would ever wear or that splashy tie that ever designed that thing, whoever thought about that. So what do you do with it? Well, you give it to someone else at another gift exchange. Maybe next year, maybe next week. You don't know. But you re-gift it. And when you do that, you don't have it anymore. That was the whole point, right? But we have been given an indescribable gift, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're told to give that gift, to share that gift with as many people as we can and it has a very unique property about it no matter how many times you share it, no matter how many times you try to give it away you will always have it it will never leave you that's a promise we have from God I will never leave you nor forsake you the Lord Jesus Christ will always be there So share the gift. Our Father in heaven, we thank you once again that we can remember the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for the rebirth that we can experience when we come to him, repent of our sins, and come to him in faith and trust him as Savior, as Christ, his Lord. Father we thank you for the privilege of knowing him for the privilege of spreading the word and father we give thanks for that indescribable gift that we have. Now as we retire downstairs to enjoy the feast before us we give you thanks for your gracious provision of the food We thank you and praise you. And we do it all in the name of the only one who is worthy, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.